I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer. My guest this week is Anna Humphreys, who I met just a few weeks ago when I was doing the Bear Grylls Survival Academy. For any of you who haven't listened to that episode, I suggest going back two or three weeks and just listening to that where I record my my experience, which in some ways wasn't that dissimilar from Anna's. But the fundamental difference I'd say is that she was sleeping indoors and I was not. But there were other differences as well, of course. So that's where we met. But Anna is, I think, a really interesting person, a really kind of strong, independent, bold spirit who I was kind of drawn to when I met her. Uh, Her qualifications are many. She's a mountain leader. She's a hashtag get outside ordnance survey champion. She has the Duke of Edinburgh Assessor and Instructor Awards, a Basic Expedition Leadership Award, the Queen's Scout Award. She's an air rifle instructor, a climber, a scout leader, and a Bear Grylls surviving instructor, as I mentioned, and takes probably more selfies and better selfies than anyone I've seen. Every time I look onto Facebook, there's a selfie of you on a mountain or in a nook or on a ridge somewhere, always on your own as well, which I think is really interesting. Anyway, Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It was a nice introduction. Well, good. I don't always sleep in the <laughs> <laughs> I don't always sleep outside either. In fact, funnily enough, I haven't done it since Bear Grylls. Tell us a bit about yourself, because I've looked on your website. And you've got a really interesting story where you kind of describe from childhood onwards. And then, of course, there's the story you told me of, well, weight loss is just a very part, a small part of it, I imagine, that you told me as we were going back to the lodge at the end of the Bear Grylls experience. So start wherever you like and just tell us a bit of your background, a bit of your story. Okay, so we'll rewind to 1988, which is when I was born. Right. 23rd, 1988. I don't remember much until I was about five or six. So I had a really good childhood, super safe. Mum, dad, two sisters, I've got a twin sister and an older sister. So really lovely childhood, grew up loving the outdoors. So every day after school, we'd be outside on our bikes, climbing trees, climbing anything I could actually physically get on. and cycling I used to have a little bike and I would always take my bike out so it came three o'clock the end of school my twin sister and I we'd be off on our bikes cycling to friends houses and everything whatever we fancied doing we'd always be outside I got to the end of primary school and we started high school it was a huge change for everybody and I realized that my character my kind of personality my looks didn't quite match the stereotypical girl in high school my first Mm. year and neither did my twins because we looked the same and we did the same things and we were the derogatory term of what's known as a tomboy so we used to like everything that so-called boys used to like but I didn't understand that until I got to high school because I just thought I did what I enjoy and I like what I do and I play with what I want with whoever I want and I never really saw it as a thing for boys or for girls. So I wouldn't say I struggled. I just found it odd. 
and carried on with my school. And then sort of halfway through my school years, my, my twin and I, we started to change our appearances because it became obvious that, you know, having short hair or, or cropped hair, we used to have like a sort of, we used to call it a bowl haircut. Do you know what I mean? Where yeah. you used to put the bowl and just cut and trim. Yeah. But we all had, all the kids had it. Even other girls in my year had it because it was like the phase, the fad. You're identical twins, aren't you? We're both non-identical. But when we were growing up, we looked identical for a long time right I thought you were yeah yeah we, we definitely looked it like I would literally even now at 31 years of age I have to say mom dad which one am I in this photograph when I was two because I right. still can't tell her either of us apart but when we got to about the teenage years that was when you know you're going through hormones and you're going through changes and you're trying to experience everything around you and trying to understand everyone and, and who you're meant to be and building your character and I think that was a turning point, the first turning point I had in my life where I was thinking, I need to grow my hair because I'm a girl. I need to wear skirts because I'm a girl. I have to go out and put heels on because that's what girls do. So I did. And I did that for probably five years. And what did that feel like? Did it feel inauthentic? I hated it. Yeah. Completely. It was completely against my nature. I did it to impress. I did it to please. I did it to feel like I belonged with all those kind of people. I was, I think now looking back, I didn't know my tribe. I didn't know who I was meant mm. to be with. I didn't know what I was meant to do because there were no people like me. My twin sister, she was, she was always like me and she's still very similar, but we both felt like we should change completely. And she grew her hair, which to me is like completely not her whatsoever. I didn't like to see her with long hair. It didn't make sense to me. I used to go out and, you know, you go out in the town, you go to pubs, you go to bars, you wear your heels, you wear your skirts. And I, I remember sitting there one day and just feeling like, I feel like nobody really knows who I am because this is just not me. And, and when people were talking to me, oh, Anna, what, what do you like doing? And da, 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 I didn't really know. I just kind of said, oh, I like to hang around with my friends and have a drink and, and wear heels. And then they'd start talking to me about fashion and say, oh, what are they making? And I had no clue because I had no interest in it. I just had the shoes because that's what I had to wear. Mm. And then I got a bunion. I got a bunion on my foot. And I thought, this is not good. Like, I shouldn't be ruining my body because of other people's perceptions of what I'm meant to be like. Mm. And there was a turning point at some point, which I'll go on to in a minute. But I got to around 18, 19. I'd gone through college. I hated college. Not so much the people, but I just didn't like education generally. I, you know, I loved being in school. I loved being with my friends academically even though I came out with GCSEs and I did eventually come out with A-levels I'm not attuned to sitting in a classroom in four walls sitting down and looking at paperwork every single day and I got bored easily distracted and I wasn't naughty but I just wasn't really happy so I'd be in the classroom in my first year of college wishing that I was somewhere else but I understood education was everything at that time I would get to where maybe I am today. So I understand the benefits of the education system. But the biggest thing for me is that I don't get why we have to always just sit indoors. Yeah. And I just wanted to go out and play. They would talk about risk assessments in some of the lessons. I was thinking, okay, I'm a risk assess. Why, you know, climbing over this gate might hurt us. But why don't we just go outside and go and have a look at the gate we're doing? So, um, yeah, college was a bit tough. I felt my first year, I didn't probably too much time in a pub down the road, actually, of all places, just to get out of there. Mm. 
meeting out with friends outside of college. I've always kind of had a lot of friends older than me. And I realised very quickly that if I need to do these college A-levels, I'm going to have to retake my first year again. So the worst thing I could have done was messing up for a year because now I have to spend three years instead of two years there. So there's a bit of karma, hmm. but I did it. I went back, I did my second year and I changed my subjects. I was quite clever for 17, 18, however old I was. I chose languages because, and nothing to do with wanting to speak languages, there is obviously that interest somewhere there. But actually for me, it was that I knew I could go traveling. I knew I could get out of college and go on a trip and I could mm-hmm. go on an experience or adventure. And there was exchanges happening all throughout the year. So I chose English, German and Spanish. And I genuinely chose them because I wanted to go to Spain, because I wanted to go to Germany, because I wanted to go and explore cities. And and the language was like the sort of bonus, if you like. I was going to come away with an A-level for doing all this cool stuff. So um, I did that for two years and I managed to pull through. And I say pull through because 90% of the course was still paperwork. It was still indoors and I had to do essays. And the exams, which terrified me to pieces, so much pressure on getting these boxes ticked and I didn't know if I was going to pass and then the results came through whenever sort of July time or so and I passed and I came out with probably the the highest you know low score if you like or the the lowest pass if you if you can get away with whatever I got away with and I thought great done that no no more education the question came up you can go to university And it was a very, very quick, easy answer. And it was just no. And that wasn't because I disagree with universities. I respect, I 100% respect anybody. Seven, eight, ten years in universities or studying, I respect those kinds of people. It's just not me. I just can't do it. Mm. And I wanted to be okay with that decision. And I found it hard because thinking back now, 99% of my friends would have gone to uni easily. They'd they'd gone to uni, they wanted to do academic studies, they knew what they wanted to be before I knew. So I always felt a little bit lost, which I was okay with. I felt like maybe it's okay to be a bit lost, you know, I'm only 18, 19. Mm. So I did something else, which is random. And just before I was 19, I found a company that do au pair work. So looking after children overseas, and they wanted a British student to go over there and look after their two sons so I was actually sorry to interrupt you I was brought not brought up by but uh, aided in being brought up by about I think we had about 13 different au pairs wow from that's, Europe that's... yeah because uh, my parents split up when I was seven so mum was largely a single parent so we often had au pairs in to help in fact even when she remarried we had au pairs in and a couple of them we're still in touch with today actually it's a nice thing to do it's nice to hear it from that side because you never really know what the impact is that you put on those children. Yeah, well, it's usually quite quite profound. For sure. That's good to know. I, I mean, and that's great because I, I went over there possibly highly because I wanted to just adventure. But obviously I'd done German, so I went over to Germany. And I lived out there for, for quite some time. I stayed with this family and they were epic family. They had his, his mom, dad, a baby who was six months old, little boy, called Felix and a little boy who was two years old called Franz Hmm. and they just became my purpose for that trip I had to look after them I was 19 I had to become a mother if you like for you know every single day bar weekends and it was a huge leap but I loved that way more than I would have loved sitting in the college so I knew I had to do that Hmm. and the ultimatum was to go to to university which I knew I didn't want to do and then the other sideline would have been to just get an ordinary job shall we say whatever that is as a student 
but I didn't want a mundane lifestyle. So that would have done my head in if I'd have had to have taken an ordinary job, which to me, I just felt like I needed something big. So I booked the flight and my parents, I remember them saying, do you even know who these people are that you're flying over to stay with for you know months on end? And I said, no. And they said, well, you need, you need to stay in contact with me. We didn't, we didn't have like, Obviously, I had a phone, but we didn't have communications as equally as we do today. Yeah. Presumably, this family had been vetted by... Yeah, so it's like it was an au pair company. So they yeah. they vet these families and, and they say everything you need to hear. And it's star ratings from previous au pairs that have been out there. But I chose them based on the location because I just like the area. And also the age of the kids, because I didn't want multiple babies because I've never even had experience with one. Mm. I didn't want anything much older than four because they would be established in their German. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to speak enough German to help them. Yeah. So I went with a kind of mid-age. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said to my parents, let's just trust the universe and go for it. So they, they trusted me and I trusted everything. And, and I went, I landed and, and it was the best decision I chose at that time in my life. And we, I had the best this time. Those kids had a great time. You know, I took them out. I learned loads of German whilst I was out there. The family looked after me incredibly well. I got to see a lot of stuff and it was hard to come back. So I think I'd been back in the country after months being out there and I knew I, I had to get back out there. And within about two weeks being back in the UK, I'd already booked flights to go back out and visit them in the October and went to the Oktoberfest. And, and I just became like a German young woman just immerse myself in everything to do with Germany and mm. and I, I've done that with everything I went on holidays every year to the Canary Islands we used to go as kids to Fort Ventura or Lanzarote and we'd spend every day on the beach surfing or we you know we'd be in the swimming pool we just everything was outdoors in my life and to me it was like the extension of a holiday so I was getting paid and looking after these kids and experiencing a whole new country whilst making a huge impact on these children's lives. Mm. And I was thinking, this is epic. Why is everybody not doing this? Why is everybody not living this epic student life? You know, why does everybody go to university? That's what went in my head. But then I also understood that if everybody did it, then we wouldn't have doctors, we wouldn't have dentists, we wouldn't have surgeons, we wouldn't have teachers. So I just didn't really know why I was doing it. I didn't know why I had to go and travel. So I spent then from the age of about 20 to 22, a couple of years, trying to figure out what it meant to be adventuring. How could I earn money for doing this? Because clearly that was my like universal magnetic pull. I had to be doing this. I had to be going out doing outdoor stuff. I had to be teaching kids or making an impact on kids, doing something the way that I felt like I belonged in that German family. You were 22 then, right? So yeah, between 20 and 22, I spent two years experiencing like, who am I meant to be? Yeah. Like, what am I? doing because all of my friends were in uni or they've already come through uni you know they've gone into teaching and taking PGSEs and they know what they want to do why on earth am I not aware of what I'm meant to be doing so I look at that differently I think that's a really young age to be crystal clear on what it is you want to be doing in theory anyway you know the broad principles of adventure help you know working with kids or, or adults helping them explore nature and have their own adventures I'm only kind of coming to that realization quite recently or, or eight years ago if not even more recently and yet, yet a further iteration of what I really want to be doing so I think to have had that clarity of between 20 and 22 is really quite something 
I wouldn't have said that was late to the party. In my mind, that's <laughs> super early. But anyway, it's all relative. Carry on. It's a fair point. And do you know what? You say a lot, Leanne, because a lot of people say to me who are older than me, and as I've said already, a lot, most of my friends are older than me. You know, they're in their 40s, 50s, some of them even in, my six, in their 60s, including my parents, and they are my bestest friends. You know, they say to me, how are you doing? How are you fulfilling your passion? Less than 30 years of age, this was a few years ago, and already, when we haven't even got that, one of my bestest friends on the planet, I put a post on Instagram the other day about, you know, there's two reasons, if you like, while we're here on the planet. And, you know, the, one of the best days is being born. And the second best day is finding out why we're born. And she's in her 40s. And, and she actually said, I'm still trying to figure out why. Everyone needs to know why. Everyone should have a passion. We should all understand the purpose of why we're here. Whatever or religion, whatever you want to call it that you believe, mm. I believe that everyone has a purpose to be here. And I think they do, but sorry, go on. Yeah, but I think to find it is the hardest part. Yeah. And I think people get confused with, am I living my passion? Am I meant to be doing this? Am I just stereotyped? Am I just following the crowd? Am I just following what I'm meant to be doing because that's what society's bred us all to believe? Yeah. And that's where I worry for people because I have been there and maybe I was young to be aware of it. I don't know, but something switched in my brain physically and I just felt like I need to escape this. I need to do what I want to do. It's interesting you because this is something I was going to ask you about. We've come to it organically because I think a lot of people are this parental expectation. There's lots of reasons why we go down the routes we did. I went straight into working for companies in sales because my dad was an entrepreneur and I just went straight into commerce. When actually that is part of what I want to be doing, but it is just a part of it. We've just got very lost, I think, mm-hmm. about what we should be doing. We've got so bought into stuff things, houses, material objects, possessions, status, that it's completely obscured our true passions and what we really want to be doing. We just think we've got to have these vocations. We've got to trudge over, you know, London Bridge and into the city and then trudge back at the end of each day, getting quite depressed with the whole thing. So we can afford to have this stuff because this stuff is the most important thing. And I, I think we've got very lost in that regard. You know, for most of us, we, we don't connect with nature anymore. Mm. don't do things we love it's it's in our within our business is a concept we call heartfulness which is kind of two things one it's a sense of contribution so it's doing something for you know I remember I told you about my work with diversity role models that's a hugely rewarding thing to do that's part of heartfulness the other half of it is reconnecting or re-establishing doing something that you used to love so for a lot of people 30s maybe but certainly 40 50 60s don't have time to do any of the things they used to enjoy and it, it, life just changes tack. And I think a lot of it is just that we are so caught up in having things rather than experiences, objects, possessions, status symbols. Yeah, absolutely, Leanne. That's well said as well. Fair play. I agree wholeheartedly. And I, and I agree because you're right in, in everything you said. People have become possessed with the possessions. People have mm. become suppressed the fact that life is just, you know, we're here to tick all the boxes, to, to make everybody happy, to get the exams, to keep pushing humans to be better and better year and to, to make our feet down. Everyone's doing something else. Why aren't they doing the things that they love? Why is it that, I don't know what the statistics would be, but I would say definitely more than half the population are unhappy. Definitely. Mm. Why are we focusing on 
keeping them in boxes. And I say in boxes that we drive cars, we sit and stay in houses, you know, they stay in hotels, they work in offices, everything is within a box. And mm. why aren't we breaking down the walls and saying, you know what, let's build a computer. If we've got to use computers, I'm all for moving forwards. But why can't we have computers in the middle of a forest, you know, put a canopy over it and get people to just engage with each other, put the phones down for an hour a day and give that time, build yoga sessions into corporate days and just say right that's it everybody down on the ground and I want you to do awesome stretches and just do a bit of mindfulness and meditate whatever it takes to just declutter your brain because we are only animals and there's no other animals on the planet that I see having to you know you see birds they're making their nest but after they've made the nest they've got a family and they're happy they fly around they go and eat their grubs but they don't try and ignore other birds and just try and shelter themselves Mm. away and be like possessive and this is mine and I've got to get as many sticks as I can and you know they don't do that I think 100% humans have lost connection to nature and if you look just generally people who go through mental health issues for one just one area of their life what helps them heal is going outside yeah going back to nature going to the mountains or going to the sea or the beach and just spending time just with themselves with the planet and connecting because that's what we are we we are completely connected Mm. within our universe and if somebody said to me you know you're not connected to the planet you're just a human walking on it I would completely disagree Mm. I am a hundred percent connected look at the moon okay people say that the moon's got nothing to do with any of us but the moon is everything in my opinion to do with us how do we get tides in the sea the moon so how is it that we have emotion within us? The moon. So why do we feel odd at different times of the month or year? Because of the moon. We are completely connected. We are spiritual mammals living on a, in a universe that is all completely connected like a giant cobweb. Mm. And I think that people have become detached from that thought. Maybe they don't want to think about that because it's quite a huge thinking process for our brains to try to comprehend where we are in this gigantic universe. Maybe it's easier to just see it as we live in a box and we work in a box and we drive in a box and Maybe some people feel safe that way of thinking and fine. But well, I think I think our worlds have just shrunk, literally and metaphorically. It's interesting actually because when we were in the jeep driving from the lodge, so to give people context, there's a a lodge that's up in the Highlands, and we then drive about an hour away from that on the Bear Grylls experience to another lodge, which I believe is the most remote lodge in the Highlands. Yeah. And basically, you don't, for us, the participants, we don't walk through a doorway again for five days until the experience finishes. That takes a bit of getting your head around. Even though I'm completely bought into everything we're talking about and love the outdoors, I will confess when I was sat in the back of the Jeep, there was just a tightening of my stomach as we got more and more remote. And I suppose some of that's the anticipation of what's to come, but it's also just that we are not, no matter how cool you are about the idea of it, and you've paid and you've flown up and you're doing it, booked it voluntarily. Mm-hmm. It is a slightly disconcerting feeling as you get more and more, you know, drive out further and further away from civilization because we're just so unused to it, which mm. is one of the reasons, one of the reasons why I wanted to do an experience like that. But in just to pause from your story for a second, so it's, it's relevant, I suppose. Why do you think it is that people want to do things like the five days extreme Bear Grylls survival course and similar things? Is it for the stuff we're talking about? Yeah, I think it's actually related to stress. I personally think it's to do with stress. And I think... If you look at modern world, everyone's working. But even though I might feel like my job's epic because I'm outdoors all the time, I still have a difference between my stress and somebody who works in an office all day, nine till five, every single day of the week, Monday till Friday. Their stress is made up. Their stress is to, probably to do with money. Their stress is probably 
to do with I haven't handed this essay this email I haven't replied to this mm. this job's coming and I need to fix it whatever that is it's, it's stress but it's to me in my brain it's a made-up stress are they actually going to die no is that a real stress then no because it's just something they haven't done on time like for example in school the stress of GCSE don't complete their GCSE today is it going to kill them no what can they do they can retake it they can have friends that never Pass their maths when they were 16 but but the age of 26 they've done it again and they've passed then it's not real stress and no. I think that people try to jump onto the survival and get outdoors because they almost want to feel alive they want to know what stress really is mm. and I think that until you're on the edge of that mountain and that rope is going to break or you've taken a fall like on a climb and you've missed the hold you slip down at the mountainside and if you go any further you could die until you feel that epic feeling of whoa I just literally got through on the skin of my teeth and I'm not suggesting for any reason that anyone should go out and try and you know cause harm to themselves or jump over the other side of the mountain but until real stress actually happens I think that that's only the time that people actually understand that everything else is made up and I believe mm. that people would pay money to get put into those scenarios because they want to feel it they want to feel alive like, yeah. I would pay thousands if that meant go out there and feel super alive and you look at you know military and I respect the military so much but as soon as they step out and they come into what's you know civvy street civilians come into this I say in, in quote but you know normal way of living for most other people in the, in the UK population they feel lost and I get it because you know how can you say that you've been out on the brink they could have been killed any minute and they come into this civilian lifestyle and the stresses you haven't done the email it, mm. how can anybody comprehend that just and to say just chill would be like the worst thing to say to those people because to them that's stress you know that's what they've always known so that's what I feel sorry for humanity to an extent because they're not realizing that that stress isn't as bad as what it could be mm. that that's my opinion it's also the stress I agree with all of that it's the stress of perfection as well a lot of it is just the way we interpret things we're encouraged to particularly in my industry health fitness and well-being there are tons of books from well-known podcasters who talk about crushing the day, seizing the day, you know, Jocko Willink, who everyone seems to revere. This guy gets up at half four in the morning. He's repping out press-ups while doing this, while doing that. Morning rituals comprised of cold thermogenesis, hot sauna, brutal workout, meditation, fasting, all this kind of stuff. And I think in some ways that, that could be aspirational perhaps, but equally it's portraying a false perception of what health is really about. You know, these, it's just putting a whole load of stress on yourself from a different perspective, you know. I think we've got far too obsessed with owning the day, seizing the day, getting as much done as we can, hyper-productivity, hyper-connectivity and all this stuff. I think being one of those people that did it, getting out into in, back to basics to see how you really fare away from your home comforts, even if it is just for four, and a half, well, four nights and five days, is a test. And I think we miss that as human beings. I think perhaps some of us are craving getting back to, to basics in a way and seeing what you can really do. I know how many emails I can process through a day and how many talks I can give and all this kind of stuff. But how do I really fare when you strip all that back and I can't comfort myself with technology or silk sheets or anything else? I think more and more people want to be doing that kind of stuff just to reconnect with what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think one of the biggest things on that is people have to make the decision themselves. I think happiness is up to you and it, it's your 
responsibility to find your happiness. And if somebody's happy doing what they're doing, you know, working 10 hours a day on their laptop, maybe they're addicted to their phone, but they're happily addicted to their phone. And that's the way they want to live. You're never going to try to influence that person unless they want to be influenced. And I think mm. for me, when, when I realized I was 25, when I realized I was responsible for my own happiness and I put on a lot of weight, I was five stone heavier than I am now. And I was in a bad place in my mind and that's what was bad in my mind that putting pressure on anyone or everyone you have to meditate you have to go out you have to do 100 press up, da, 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 da. if they want to crack on and respect them if you know, everyone's got the same 24 hours and some people will moan and whinge that oh, i haven't got time to go to the gym but you've just complained to me that you're five stone heavier but you want to lose weight but you're not making time to go to the i haven't got time You've got the same 24 hours as Dwayne Johnson, who's ripped. Mm. But I'm not saying you've got to be ripped as Dwayne Johnson. You've got to figure out how you're going to get there. And by doing that, you've got to take responsibility. That is only you can get you there. We can inspire people. We can help people. We can encourage people. But in their mind, they have to decide for themselves. that They they have to take the first step. And when they've got that first step, then great. let's, Let's push them. Let's get them there. But they've got to take that first step. And I've got a lot of friends, and I'm going to talk about weight on this because it's relevant to what I've gone through. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39-page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.